friends, we're back with a surprise episode, mid-finals, two weeks away from the draft. I'm here with Gavin while Ben's out on vacation, and we're going to talk about the finals and where they're at and, and go over where the Raptors are in the, in the draft and maybe answer an email too. So let's start with the finals, Gavin. Last night, we witnessed an epic finals game where the Bucks evened up the series with the Suns, 2-2. There was a lot to talk about in this game. Giannis had that crazy block. I think that was even better than the LeBron and Iguodala block. I think so too. Yeah. Like just how I don't, I watched that in slow motion. I still don't know how that happened. That was insane. I was today already for a long portion of the day during when I probably should have been working, weighing in online about which block was better, the LeBron and Iguodala or the Giannis versus uh, uh, Aiton from last night. And I'm going to be honest, I was on team Giannis. I think the skill level, the degree of difficulty for that block is significantly higher. Giannis had to show, defend the the ball handler in the pick and roll, made him stop, rethink his shot, pass it over him, read that ball, which is going directly over his head. And anyone that's ever played like football and has to catch a ball that's going directly over their head, it's almost impossible to track it as it goes directly over your head. So he tracked the ball and was coordinated enough to reset, jump, and block Aiton, who's a seven footer at like above the square on the backboard. It was crazy. Yeah. The only, the, yeah, oh. the, I think the argument for the LeBron block would be the situation and sort of the magnitude of the teams would be yeah. like, but yeah, I have to see that. I mean, the moment for the LeBron block was bigger game seven against the 72, like the 73 and nine, uh, yeah. golden state warriors. It, it's a pretty amazing moment. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Yeah, iconic block that I think we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be seeing replays of for a long time. I think it was better than the Bam out of bio on Jason Tatum block, which mm-hmm. I think was the the most hype other recent block. But uh, what do what do we think about that uh, that no call where there was a the fast break in the fourth quarter and Devin Booker I think intentionally maybe even flagrantly fouled Chris Middleton <laughs> and it didn't get called and so he didn't get kicked out of the game. My reaction watching that take place was just, what is going on? Wasn't that a foul? It was a foul, right? And I yeah. was like yelling this at my screen as I watched <laughs> it. And all the Bucks fans in the arena apparently felt the same thing. They're standing up. Their arms are outstretched like a Michael Jordan poster. What's going on here, refs? And I think that's what everyone thought because it was obviously a foul. I don't know what happened. Was it a brain fart? Was it them wanting to make the game more competitive and more interesting? All I can say is those refs owe Chris Middleton a lot because if Devin Booker had taken that team and carried them to victory in the last two minutes after <laughs> that would have been scandalous like there would have to be I don't oh. I honestly think that the Bucks they got like Giannis the next couple times he drove got kind of like touch fouls where they they kind of they called fouls and I was like eh I don't know is that really a playoff foul or not so I think that they were aware that it was a big mistake and they uh they they tried to make it right but I think what happened there is on the fast break, like all the refs are running down the floor too. And if they don't get a good eye of it, I think they assume that someone else has a better eye on it. And sometimes they just don't call stuff on fast breaks. And, but this was, this was really egregious. Like all of the refs should have been calling as a foul. 
Yeah, he bear hugged him. I mean, the ball, like the arm that hit the ball in the arm was kind of like 50 50, I thought, but the but other he hit him before that. his waist. Yeah, and he hit him yeah. before that. It was, it was in every way, it was like an intentional foul. And that, yeah. that's the kind of foul that I mean, I, I probably rant about this other times, but like those intentional fast break fouls, they just ruin the game. It's, it takes the fun away. I think that they should be outlawed. <laughs> I think they should be a flagrant foul where it's like you're clearly not making a play on the ball, it's just a tackle. I don't know. I kind of like the dichot- like the like strategy of when to take fouls. And it's something the Phoenix Suns are doing a lot of. Obviously, they're really using their fouls in this series. And maybe mm-hmm. we should transition into, you know, what's occurred in the last two games. Because if I remember correctly on the last podcast, you guys seem pretty down on the Bucks. But two games at home can change a lot in a series. I think before the last podcast, it was it was a finals preview. And and they, yeah, it looked like Giannis might not play in the finals, and we were like, "Oh no, another marred series where the stars aren't playing." And uh, surprise, surprise, Giannis came back and has looked amazing. So yeah, it's, he's it's doing been really more great. than playing. He's yeah, doing he's more been phenomenal playing. in games two and three. And to be honest, like I feel like this series deserves to be two two after these four games. Like these teams are really close. They both have flaws, I think. And right now, I think the Bucks look like the better team but i think home court is playing a really really huge factor this series i think there's a lot of players on both teams that may, maybe the spotlight is a little too bright for them right now like i'm thinking of mikhail bridges and probably drew holiday as well and that like they're kind of just disappearing a bit on offense or you know kind of being non-factors and you know these teams aren't playing as well as they could but I think I think sort of the uh, the raucous away crowds has something to do with that. I want to circle back on Mikel Bridges later on because I actually have liked what I've seen him do with the ball when it's in his hand. But like my read on this series after two two is kind of like how I felt about the Bucks the whole way. It seems like they have a massive physical advantage against every team they faced, and yeah. this Suns team is probably the most poignant of those through all the series. Like. They're bigger at every position. I mean, when the worst defender on the floor is Pat Connaughton, and that's the guy they're deciding to ISO up with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, you're in a good space. Pat Connaughton's 6'5", 210 pounds, and he held the vertical leap record for the combine for years. He jumped 48 inches. They, like he's a like, Yeah, they're not they're not bigger than him, but they've been cooking him. Like it's it, he's yeah. been getting roasted. So it's true. Well I just think yeah. I mean any I mean Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they roast people. That's what they do. It doesn't matter if if they chose to isolate anyone enough as much as they are Connaughton, mm-hmm. I mean they'd be roasting people too. But I think in this past game he did a pretty decent job. But getting back to my previous point they have the massive physical advantage. They're beating the Suns on the boards. They are longer. They're more athletic. They're beating them in transition. They're forcing more turnovers. But it doesn't matter because the Suns can just hit stupidly hard shots. Yeah, like, the Devin Booker's shot making was honestly, it was like Kobe-esque last game where yeah. he was just taking ridiculous fadeaway after ridiculous fadeaway. But he was making a lot of them, so it was working. But that does it does scare me because obviously Devin Booker is not the kind of player that Kobe was. He has more bad games than, than Kobe did, and if that's sort of what their offense is relying on, like Chris Paul didn't look right this game. Mm-hmm. And going forward, like this is the best game Devin Booker's probably ever played, especially given sort of the pressure and the setting. So you got you can't really expect Devin Booker to keep doing this if you're the Suns and you no. need more out of Chris Paul. But like I don't know, there I've seen some speculation and heard some stuff that people think Chris Paul's 
wrist is hurting. Like mm-hmm. he, his handle was loose. He was turning the ball over a lot, which is really on, on Chris Paul. Like, and he wasn't able, he wasn't really generating any kind of offense either. And if you're a Suns fan, like uh, I, I'm scared right now because if he's hurt, you're done. Like this game, the series is over in six if he's hurt. Yeah. And more often than not, I mean, he's going up against Drew Holiday or PJ Tucker, right? And even on his best day, those are some challenging people to go at. So they're playing rough with him too. There's no doubt about it. Milwaukee started to ratchet up the physicality of this series the same way they did in the Brooklyn Nets series. And it seems to be working at least when they're at home. I think, yes, the Suns need to find something else. But I think a big part of that is just Milwaukee is kind of shaping the offense of the Suns. They're taking away the three-pointer. The Suns barely took any. Devin Booker didn't take a single three-pointer in game four. Well, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't take a single one in in game four. I think he had a few three-shot fouls, but those don't get counted as shot attempts, right? So um, they're forcing them to the mid-range. Over 50% of the Suns' shots last game were from the mid-range. They're getting nothing at the rim. They're getting barely anything from three. And it's all mid-range jumpers. And if you asked an NBA head coach what they want the other team to shoot, it's mid-range jumpers. Now, the Suns have Devin Booker. The Suns have Chris Paul. So the mid-range jumper is not a death sentence. But I don't think they're going to be able to survive on that the next three games. Yeah, I agreed. And yeah, I, I'm just I'm worried for the Suns. But I also, like I, this, I, we've seen time and time again for this Bucks team, do not trust them. Like Middleton, he had an amazing fourth quarter. But before that, he was putting up very, very empty calories. Like their offense, they they won. I think the turnover battle seventeen to five, and I think they won the offensive rebound rebounding battle also by yeah. seventeen to five. So like, if you think about how many extra possessions that is, right? That's like twenty. That's like twenty four extra possessions that you had mm-hmm. over the Suns, and it was a close game, right? Their offense is brutal. Like and Andrew Holiday and Chris Middleton are a big part of that brutality because they're not they're not like Chris Middleton hit some shots going down the stretch for sure, but they're not they're not generating anything easy. It's all it's all like tough jumpers that they're getting. And like the Suns defense is, is doing well. If they were rebounding better, like this game would have been the Suns victory. Yeah, I am so disappointed in Drew Holiday. I really thought there was more to him than this. And in the first quarter, he had a Ben Simmons like, I'm not gonna take a layup, I'm gonna pass it out moment. Yeah. Not quite as bad. But pretty bad, and even when he goes up for his layups, I always think he's gonna miss. And the, the, threes, the stuff that that does look good for him though is when he does the bully ball, where you're like half driving, half posting up. Like the no one, none of the Phoenix guards are remotely strong enough to guard him. And I think I think he gets good looks and, and generates good uh, opportunities for other people when he does that. But he doesn't do it very often. Yeah, I think if they were to stick with that, and especially going against Cameron Payne. I think they could probably play Cameron Payne off the floor if Drew Holiday just attacked him like that. He's just yeah. so much stronger. I mean, Cameron Payne can't weigh 190 pounds. Yeah. He's he's a small dude, skinny, skinny. But uh, yeah, they got to get more from Drew Holiday. I think unless the supporting cast steps up, this could be the Suns series for the win, right? The offense needs to get better. They can't assume that the Suns are just going to let them run rough shot and transition the rest of the series because that's yeah. been the margin of difference, right? If you shut down some of those transition buckets, which... I mean, yeah, they have Giannis. That's going to be hard to do. But if they shut down some of them, it's going to make a big difference in the overall score. Yeah, this Bucks offense, the entire playoffs has been stuck in mud. I guess yeah. except for the first round against the Heat. But uh, you know, other than that, it, it hasn't been pretty. So you know, there's definitely opportunities here. Uh, care to make a prediction for the rest of the series, Gavin? I do think the Bucks found something. 
um, in just like the Chris Middleton Giannis pick and roll because it seems like after game three, the adjustment the Suns have made was it was very noticeable in ga- in the first quarter of this game was just like as soon as Giannis gets in the paint, you're getting four bodies, not two, not three, four bodies sent at him, just crowding him. And I think that his gravity on those pick and rolls is opening up those elbow jumpers for Chris Middleton. And if he's at all decent, he's going to put up some big numbers next few games. I think with Chris Paul's health, the dominance of the physicality, I think we're going to see Bucks win this in six. Yeah, I think if you're a betting person, that's that's probably the most likely outcome, just given the Chris Paul situation. I don't know how serious it is. And one thing that we have to keep in mind is that there's three days off between every game, which I want to talk about that for a second. That's ridiculous. After the pace we played at these, these playoffs and regular season, it, it, the, the whole speed of the series is just so off. It takes like in one week, there's two games, right? When we're used to playing every other night and it's just like, why did we play those first rounds so fast if we had this much time to play the finals, right? It doesn't make any sense. And I, I hate it. And I wish that they would have just sped up the finals to, to match the pace of the rest of the playoffs. It would have been, I think, fairer. I don't know that any team's getting advantage, but it's just, it's just weird. So I don't I think that there's going to be enough time off between the games that if there's anything that Chris Paul can do to, to fix what, whatever happened there, that they will find a way to do that. So I'll probably go with uh sons and seven with just like the home court, uh, <laughs> the home team winning every single game. Yeah. You think the home team just got it every game. The energy from the crowd think, is really helping. I think the refs get really influenced by the crowds from what I've seen, like all the touch fouls and bumping and whatnot. Like it seems to just go whatever way of whatever, like the home team is. So. That's a pretty pessimistic view of the series that the refs are just going to decide it because they're going to be just like. Well, I just I think it just dictates kind of like what you're allowed to do and what you can't do. So you know, like oh, like the you know some bucks get in foul trouble, like and the bucks have zero depth, right? Like both teams have zero depth, so anyone getting in foul trouble is a huge problem. Yeah, it's it's a, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one down. I think this series is very close. If either team can really make an adjustment to take anything away from the other team, it's going to be the difference. If you can take yeah. away the transition game from the Bucks, it's going to be the difference. If you can take away, well, the Bucks have taken things away. Just, you know, if they can take something back, the Suns, it's going to make a difference for sure. Um, it's going to be exciting to watch. These final three games are sure to be action-packed. And, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, watch these games because this series, in my opinion, has not disappointed. And I'm going to be honest with you, Aaron. Listening to that last podcast, I was a little bit upset at how down you and Ben were on these finals. I know you're giving a finals preview and you made me not want to watch it. It was ridiculous because these teams are good. And I had a long argument with Ben on Discord the other day about how the Suns are a real team and should be, even next year, considered a favorite. One of the contenders. Really? Yes. Do you actually believe that? I do. I think from what I've seen from Aiton is he's gotten a lot better. And if he comes back with the same energy next year, he's still young. We could still see some improvements. Same thing with Booker. Like he can still get better. He's still young. And Mikel Bridges too. I've really liked what I've seen from him when he decides to put the ball on the floor. He's doing more than just three and D. He's also like make a move. He's hitting shots in the mid range occasionally. It's pretty impressive. He just needs a little more confidence on the offensive end. And I think you can expect improvement from all those guys. And Chris Paul is still going to be there. Sturdy as always. Jay Crowder is probably still going to be decent at his age. I think that team is just going to be more cohesive and better next season. 
I mean, I'm not going to argue that they're not going to be better next season because they do have some good young guys. Uh, I just don't see that really being sort of closing the gap to, I think, the teams that are ahead of them. Who's ahead of them? The Lakers. The Clippers probably will be because I think Kawhi will be healthy in time for the playoffs next year. The Nuggets, if Jamal Murray's back in time for the for the playoffs next year, I'd take the Nuggets over them. And then in the East, obviously, the Nets are leaps and bounds ahead of everyone. Yeah, I think the Nets are clear number one seed across the whole league. But I'm talking about the West here. And when you're discussing those West teams, you're saying if Kawhi comes back, if um, Jamal Murray Jamal yeah. Murray gets healthy and is back to the same way he was. I'd still pick the Lakers over them, like 100%. And the Lakers, though, like, I just, I, I'm not super confident with them. You got two stars that are either super aging or injury prone. And then you have a team that's brutal outside of them and not getting better this off season. They're well, just so we, locked in. We don't really know what's going to happen yet with the off season. So, you know, I think there's a lot. To, a lot I just left think to all seen, those but... teams are probably getting worse and the Suns are getting better and they're already in the finals. Yeah. But I think, did you disagree with what Ben and I said as we went through all the teams that like, if this team was healthy, they would be favored against the Suns. Cause I think the, the Lakers one is obvious, right? Like the Lakers were in control of that series until AD got hurt. Right. Yeah. I think the Lakers, if they had been perfectly healthy, probably could have been favored. Like LeBron wasn't year. even, LeBron wasn't even there and they were still yeah. controlling the series. Yeah. Right. I, the, I agree with that, but the nuggets one, I think, sure you could debate that. Like, but I think those teams are pretty evenly matched at least like worst case scenario. If Jamal mm-hmm. Murray's healthy, Mm-hmm. And then the Clippers to me are obviously superior if they have Kawhi. I think it's like the Lakers there where like they, they, they were very competitive in the series the, on the balance of play, like that series probably goes seven instead of six. And that's a team without Kawhi. But again, I think I agree with you. If Kawhi is healthy in that series, I think the Clippers win, but yeah. Kawhi might not be the same. Like he's already has quad issues and now he has this torn AC, not partially torn AC. Well, he has the surgery thing. on it. So it's the same surgery's thing as being torn. There. Yeah, surgery's yeah. done. And then they're not going to be able to bring back all their guys. Like that team's not going to be as good as it was this year. And same thing, I think, for the Lakers. They're going to have some but, serious challenges to improving their roster and their team's just getting older. These Suns aren't the same Suns they were in the first round. They've gone to the finals. They might even win a championship. How much confidence are they coming back with next year? How much added experience? I don't, Everyone I don't thought know if they the were confidence papered. matters, but also like this, the Suns team is also sort of the opposite of these other teams. They've been perfectly healthy the entire season, pretty much. And like that's, they had some health issues in the first round as well. Yeah, Chris Paul got hurt. Yeah, but but he came back and he was fine and he was good when he came back, right? And in the finals, they've got some health issues too, but. I agree. They have had some right, good and breaks. like this is Chris Paul, who's super fucking old, right? Like he could break down at any moment. Oh, I was he's talking ha- about Saric, and he's had like, oh yeah, Saric, but yeah, <laughs> which is actually a big deal in this series, by the way. Yeah, because yeah, De- DeAndre Ayton's like a band aid on a dam that's just holding back the yeah, drives they, to they the they rim. Have no like, depth anymore. He yeah. gets in foul trouble, the game's over. Like, yeah. For sure, but I mean, same with the Bucks. Like the Bucks also have no depth, so it's kind of fair that way. But. uh but Chris Paul has had like he's had a, lots of injuries in his career, and he's old, right? Like there, there's just no guarantee that they're going to be healthy next year. And I don't know. I I'm just not 
like I'm still I still agree with what Ben and I said where I think the Suns are on sort of the outside of the inner circle of contenders looking in mm. that doesn't mean you can't win a championship right like you just have to get luckier than normal right so you know I, what I still think that's true you just said they're on the inner circle of contenders and that's all so I need the outer circle oh <laughs> the dang outer, it the outside of the inner inner circle you're right yeah. you didn't say that but I, I think yeah. they're across that line I think they're in the inner circle I don't okay. know if I'd put them at the top of that tier like I, well, the Nets are their own tier, let's be honest. But those other Western teams, I think they're yeah. in that tier firmly because I think we can count on improvement. We can count on increased confidence. We can count on all these things. And, and we can't necessarily count on that from those other Western aging Well, teams. I think what we sort of do, like we, it's easy to look now and be like, oh, these other Western teams are going to get worse, right? But we have to remember that these are the teams that buy out and uh, aging veterans are going to take discounts to go to, right? And and we don't really like, you know, they got Nick, Nick Batum off the scrap heap. Obviously, he's going to get a contract now, but there's mm-hmm. lots of other guys that become Even available. Reggie like Jackson's going to get a contract now. He yeah, might not be able but, to clips next year. But again, like these are guys that were on the fringes of the NBA that then they come to this team because, you know, they're superstars to play with and they're going to be contenders. Right. So, you know, there's going to be there's going to be bargains that they get that other teams don't have access to. So, mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm not going to belabor it any longer than that. I just think, you know, the Suns aren't something to be trifled with next year and neither are the Bucks. They're still probably the number two no, team. The in Bucks the are br- I, like, I mean, the Bucks have a move to make and that's getting a different coach. Uh, but outside of that, I think they're kind of broken broken you mean like they've broken the league or like (laughs) (laughs) their offense is mediocre yeah their Uh, offense is mediocre unless some people start to shoot better on that team it's not going to be uh good in the playoffs for them for sure um should we talk raptors let's talk raptors let's talk let's talk the draft i've been consuming a lot of draft stuff in the last couple weeks and i've got opinions i've got uh, ideas about what should happen and uh, let's break it down. What do you want to start with, Gavin? So let's just, can we just agree on some things? Okay? okay. First, I just want to know if you agree with this point. I don't think it's worthwhile to really talk too much about Cade Cunningham, uh, Evan Mobley, or Jalen Green. I think if any of those guys fall, let's just say Raptors should take them. Uh no, I don't agree with that. Okay, okay. Well, explain your reasoning. Uh, I I'm not super high on Jalen Green. Okay. Uh, I think he's he's flashy and he can score. The efficiency of that is unknown, which is basically the entirety of his value, and that's all he's ever going to be. His measurables are actually like smaller than people think. Like he's shorter and his wingspan's not as long. And so he, he doesn't even have like plus size for a two guard. He might even be smaller than an average two guard in the league. So at that point, like you really have to be like a Devin Booker level of scorer if you're not doing anything else. And, you know, it's just like, you know, okay, maybe he can get to that level, but like that would be pretty awesome. But there's just a lot of other players that, that kind of become good scorers and, and don't become a lot else. And I just, I feel like there's other, uh, there's other picks that give you more than than just the empty calories that he's probably going to give you. Wow, because I, I kind of have, the myself, I kind of have the draft into tiers. So I think Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, like they're all above the next cutoff. And then I think the players the Raptors are really looking at are kind of like Kaminga, 
Barnes and Suggs. And we're picking from those three is my personal feel for the draft. That seems to be the way most people are shaking out. Yeah. Mind you, like my opinion is not necessarily what teams think. Right. And so I think you're, you're absolutely right in that. There's probably that, that trio of, of players that are probably going to go one, two, three in some order. Um, Most likely Cade one and then probably Mobley two and then green three. But you know, it's, you know, like that doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Mm. But if I guess I would take either Cunningham or Mobley if they fell, obviously, but I would not take green if he fell. If like that, if I was the GM of the Raptors, I would be taking someone else. That's interesting. I think I would take green. I honestly think the biggest thing the Raptors need, and I mean, I know drafting for need is not always the greatest, but I also think Jalen green might have the highest upside of all the players remaining. Maybe not. Scotty Barnes and Kaminga have a lot of upside, but I think just looking at the shooting numbers, he's a whole two tiers ahead of those three guys. Like Jalen Green's the only positive three point shooter in this, in of those four. I'm talking Barnes, Kaminga, Suggs, and him. He's the only positive three point shooter. He shot 36.5% in the G League on 84 attempts. So it's not a tiny sample size. And he shoots really well from the free throw line too. He's an 83% free throw shooter. Yeah, but Jalen Suggs is also a good free throw shooter. Yeah, that's fair. So, I think Jalen yeah. Suggs is definitely the next best shooter here. I mean, I, I think they're pretty, they're probably like close enough that reading too much into like a few per- percentage points doesn't matter. And they're like, they're probably both going to be good shooters. Jalen Suggs is only 76 three free throw percentage. That's, that's good enough. I mean, 82 coming out of the, into the draft is like that projects to be an elite free throw shooter at the next level as he sure but i I guess i'm just saying that like the sample sizes are small enough that like i wouldn't i wouldn't freak out about those those differences and you know i I, like everyone knows it's like oh yeah the three throw with free throw percentage correlates better with three-point shooting than three-point shooting does from from college right Mm -hmm. that's that's why we're talking about this but it's it's a pretty loose correlation still right like there's a lot you know we see like og and an ob pretty good three-point shooter horrible free throw shooter right and you know there's other there's other examples going the other way where someone's an excellent free throw shooter and a terrible three-point shooter so yeah but it's less common than it is common that's for sure more often than not if you're a good free throw shooter yes well that's why there's a correlation it's just there's there's lots of instances where it's that's not the case and i think both the players have good form good fundamentals and have shot well in the past so I, i wouldn't worry too much about either of them I think it's also important to note that, you know, Jalen Green is shooting on an NBA three-point line, not a college three-point line, yep. which is, I mean, you can count on Jalen Green coming into the league and being a 36% three-point shooter well, at, hopefully, at least, but yeah. which is good. Like that's better than average. Yeah, I think that's right around the NBA average, but especially because uh, he's taking tough takes in this Ignite game. Like he's doing dribble pan like pull-ups and tough shots yeah i'm i'm curious to see because one thing like coming into the year i think both jalen green and jonathan kaminga were i think they were like two and four on the sort of the 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 espn's like top 10 list or whatever Mm -hmm. and they went to the g league ignite team instead of going to college and both of their stocks have fallen but they both played pretty well and showed lots of promise within the actual g league games themselves which to me is like a kind of fundamental scouting question. Like the G league is obviously like way superior to college. Right. But, but, you know, I guess 
it's not really being evaluated like that. And it's a sort of a weird scouting conundrum of like, how do you treat the competition? And does, does that matter that much? Cause you know, like going against former NBA players and players trying to make the NBA is, is a lot different than going against guys that are, you know, dream about the NBA, but no, it's not going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So of those four, my first choice would be Jalen green. Who would be yours? Of those four, I would, I would take Jalen Suggs. Okay. I think, Please explain. I think he is just really good overall player. He's a smart defender, like, like a really smart defender. He's going to fit in great on the Raptors. He's, he's big. Like he's, I think he's the same size as, as Jalen green and, but he can be a point guard as well as a two guard. Uh, his defensive instincts are excellent. Like he reads passing lanes really well. He gets in front of guys. He plays physically, you know, he has, he has like a pretty sweet highlight reel of blocks where he he anticipates things really well. So uh, to me, really getting that defensive value just means that like, he's always going to be able to play and be helpful on the floor because he's going to be a plus on the defensive end, which really gives you time to get your offense going. And that's really hard for, for rookies and players trying to make the NBA is, like oftentimes the offense is what comes last and needs time to develop and, but he's going to be good enough on defense to, to earn minutes. So I think he'll have a chance to get that. And then offense, he's a fantastic passer. His biggest weakness I would say is sort of like the burst and, and getting to the rim, breaking guys down and sort of creating shots for himself and others, but he's such a good passer. And he, I think he's going to be at least a decent spot up shooter that he'll be able to fit in in an NBA offense right away. And, especially if you have him on the Raptors, you have Fred Van Vliet already, like maybe Kyle Lowry, maybe there, maybe not, but you have other ball handlers. So it's not everything going to be on him. So he can kind of fit in and take it and take it at his own pace, as opposed Mm. to sort of having to run the team himself. And I think that's sort of the best way you want to develop someone. I think what he's shown in terms of his understanding of, of, of basketball and his offensive IQ, it's like, that's, that's really what matters a lot more so than, some of the elite athleticism. I think that translates a lot better to the NBA. So I would take Jalen Suggs there because I think he is the best guy on the board. I, you see, I was really high on Suggs um, like a couple weeks ago. And I thought this guy looks like, uh, yeah, like a very athletic, good passing, seems to project well as a shooter. But you got to remember the context in which he played in. He was on this but, like Gonzaga team that was the best offense ever in the college basketball. Like, yeah, he, but I think that's to his credit, right? And that like he he helped that he didn't he didn't bring it down, right? Like a lot of, especially because he's playing with older guys, right? That are not that are not freshmen, and he helped their offense. Whereas I think a lot of other prospects would have brought it down with their inexperience and lack of IQ. Yeah, but when you're talking about things like his lack of burst, like he's not beating people off the dribble in the half court. Yeah. He's not, uh, his pick and roll play is not superb. He's not a great passer out of the pick and roll. Yeah. And that's not going to be easier when you have less shooting around you, right? That's going to be tougher. And beating people off the dribble is going to be tougher when you have less shooting around you. He's not going to have any more space than he had at Gonzaga. And he's going to be playing against better athletes, better defenders. Well, that, I think he's going to get swallowed up. I think the NBA game is like pretty fundamentally different. And I think, yes, I think as a rookie, he will struggle to be a creator. Like I'm, I think we're drafting Alonzo ball. You're drafting Alonzo ball. If he takes sucks, his number one elite skill is the push ahead pass. He's great in transition, 
when he's passing the ball, he's not great at finishing in transition. He kind of just jumps into people's bodies. It looks a little awkward. I think he's like a vastly superior athlete to Lonzo Ball. And he is like, yes, you know, a lot of college players have the issue of sort of, especially freshmen, where the physicality of sort of basketball when they're playing as older guys, like, yeah, they kind of fade away from contact at the rim, right? But that's something you can learn. And just the quality of athlete he is, like this guy is like Mr. Minnesota, like the but if best basketball good, player and the best football player. Like he's shown flashes of being able to do it. If he's such a good it. athlete, where's the first step? Why can't he beat these players out the dribble? I mean, Davian Mitchell is breaking his ankles. And he <laughs> can't get by him at all. Like it's... Yeah, and Davian I mean, Mitchell's the defender stuff, he's going to see in the NBA. That stuff can come with time, right? And like he, he can learn him up. I don't know. I just have serious questions about the athleticism as far as the first step, that explosiveness, his ability to operate in the half court offense seems lackluster, but he does seem like a decent defender. Now I would say Malachi Flynn probably projected as a better defender coming really? into the league. No I way. Mean, no, Jalen Suggs is, is so much bigger. He's like it's... two inches bigger, but you got to remember Malachi Flynn was like defensive player of the year in his, yeah, in his thing. And I just don't know. I don't think a guard like him is going to make a massive difference on our defense. No, I think I think when you're the Raptors, having guards that can switch and guards that sort of play as hard as they do, it makes your defense. Like if you have shitty defensive guards, it doesn't matter what you do behind them. It just puts everyone else in like compromised positions. Like guards are, they're, yes, they're not as important as wings and bigs on defense, but having good guards enables your other defenders to not be as good. It gives them more time to make rotations. It gives them like... You know, just gives every like having guys that are that are clued in and and just locked in on defense. That's what you need. It doesn't really matter what position you are if you're not playing that way. Mm. I do think the defensive piece is big, but when I look at the Raptors team, I'm just like, what's the biggest issue with this Raptors team? Half court offense, and we're going to take the player that doesn't project to be a great half court athlete over Jalen Green. But he is a great passer. Right, like we can't in the push in the push. No, but even even the half court too. He has great vision. He's a good passer. Like yes, he might not be as a rookie like a crazy good passer because he needs to learn the NBA game. But like the vision and the IQ are there. Right. I just I don't think that I was that like when I watched some of his games, I wasn't that impressed with his half court passing, especially out of the pick and roll. A lot of it's just hitting Drew Timmy, who's a big guy who can pass the ball, and he'll set up the shooters around him. Or it's a set play for Chris Kispert as he comes off a screen. Jalen Green doesn't have to make, I mean, Jalen Suggs doesn't have to make the read. He knows he's going to be open because he's coming off screens. He just flicks it over there. I'm just not impressed with his ability to read the game in the half court. I guess in the same way you are. I guess so, yeah. So if if you, you would not pick Jalen Suggs here, I guess is what you're saying. Well, here's the thing. I probably so the top three guys are God. I probably do end up picking Jalen Suggs, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Like for so the last ten minutes, saying how bad he is, and now you're like, I'll take. Well, him. I'm making the argument for Jalen Green over him, but but there's a good chance Jalen Green's not there, right? I think yeah, odds are he's not. And of the three remaining, like I, this argument's kind of mad because no matter which Jalen falls to the Raptors. I think they probably should take them, but Kaminga and heard, Scotty Barnes. I've heard rumble, yeah, I've heard Scotty Barnes rumblings, and Chad Ford thinks Scotty Barnes is ahead of Jalen Suggs, and lots of other people do too. Um, obviously, these people know way more about the draft than we do, but mm-hmm. you know, we're we're just fans. But uh, what do you think about Scotty Barnes? 
Like, I think he's really intriguing. I do. I look at his body. I look at his dimensions. I watch some of the tape of his defense and his transition game. And he, shades of Ben Simmons, right, is kind of the comp people are throwing out there. For the Raptors, I think that drafting Barnes is kind of a blow it up move because he's not going to be ready to contribute to that team right away. He's going to contribute to the spacing issues we already have. No, I I, I disagree with that because I think most of the value of Barnes comes in that defensively he can switch one to five, hopefully. Like that's that's the projection, right? And he has the size and perimeter skills to to guard out there and inside. So if you're if you're drafting him, you're like what's gonna anchor him in the NBA is his defense and his defensive versatility, right? So I think that is like a play now kind of guy. Yeah, but it's just the offense. And I mean, offensively, like apparently he's a point guard and he's a good passer. Yeah. It's just the shooting. The shooting right now is basically a zero. I actually think Barnes like watching is like equal, if not better than Suggs at passing. But just I, in a vacuum, I agree with you. I think that defensive switchability combined with his playmaking, his athleticism, like he's an amazing prospect. Just on the Raptors, we already got OJ Ananobi. We already got Pascal Siakam. And if we want to win right now, I don't know if we roll this point guard out there who can't well, shoot at if all. If you want to win right guys. now, you trade the pick, right? Because yeah. rookie, rookies don't help you win, right? If you right. have a rookie that's actually positive for you, like you won the lottery. So rookies don't help you win. So like, you well, know, that's whoever you draft is not going to help. That's the challenging part about this draft for the Toronto Raptors is that do we draft someone who we think can help us right now? Cause we already have a solid core that's around 27 years old, or do we draft some project that could be amazing in three or four years, but won't I help us you, right now. I just, you don't overthink it. I think you just draft the best available, like whoever's highest on your board. The beautiful thing about the Raptors roster right now is that they have a ton of flexibility and a ton of guys that can play a bunch of different positions so you just draft the best player that you, whoever you think is best, and then you fit them around what you have. Yeah. I'm just so happy. I'm not making this pick. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one, but it might be easy because the teams ahead of the Raptors, fortunately are pretty incompetent. So there's a chance someone might fall. Like Evan which, Mobley. <laughs> yeah. What Evan Mobley. Thoughts? I think, I think oh. he's the number one. Really? You think he's better than, than Cade? Yeah, I do. Wow. Well, I don't know. I think, honestly, I haven't spent a lot of time looking at them because I just don't think it's in the Raptors range. But if either of them fall, I'd be very happy to pick them. Um, They seem highly scouted. And I mean, I watched the tournament and I was really impressed with Evan Mobley's length, defensive versatility, and his ability to switch and move. And some of his like face-up game is kind of interesting as well. And his ability to shoot too. I think he's the best passer out of like the top group of prospects. Better than Jalen Suggs? Yes. Really? You think he's that good at passing? Yeah, he had a lot a really of big to big passer. passes with his brother in college that were yeah, kind of impressive. Yeah, I think I think he's he's a, he's an excellent passer and like I think he should be number 1 because I think his his defense is better than Cade and I think his offense will be better than Cade even though he doesn't have the same sort of set of being like the the dominant ball handler. I think that uh his skill set is probably more valuable and that he can he can initiate the offense as a big man. But the floor on Cade is so high. And I think a lot of teams are going to take Cade just because 
he's not going to bust. Like this is a six, eight athlete who's shown he can shoot, who's shown he can pass. He has some dribble moves. Maybe he doesn't have the fastest first step. Like that's kind of the, the weak yeah, spot. I'm he's hearing. not, he's not a great athlete, but he's huge. Right. Yeah. So. And like, he's going to be good. Right. And yeah, just the advanced, the analytics are, are really down on Cade, which is a, which is a scary thing when like, you know, like stuff like he's like the worst offensive rebounding, like prospect in like a long time you counting guards and it's like we six eight but he's not getting offensive rebounds like that's kind of weird yeah i mean either one falls the raptors we're happy i'm not oh, gonna yeah, overthink sure, that too sure. much <laughs> i mean even jalen green or jalen suggs we're happy scotty barnes i'm happy what about kaminga are you happy if the raptors end up with kaminga he does no. kind of seem like no side guy like kaminga is i think kind of like scotty barnes light I think he's probably a better athlete than Scotty Barnes, but the skills are a little more raw and the shooting is probably better than, than Scotty Barnes, but it's still such a huge question mark that, you know, if you're taking a prospect that's going to make or break, like I think Scotty Barnes will ultimately make or break whether, whether he can become a decent shooter. And Kaminga, I think is like that as well, where he's just a little further ahead with the shooting, but behind on everything else. And that's just like, yes, like those guys should get drafted because if they can shoot, you know, they become stars, they become all stars. Right. But if they can't, then they're just, you know, role players, maybe even out of the NBA. Right. Watching the Kaminga tape is so tantalizing though. Like he's just so long. Yeah. So big and so strong already. And yeah. like he can dribble the ball. It's not the tightest handle and like the form on his shot looks good. Yeah. And he does have a kind of a nice, like little around the rim kind of five, six feet out touch to like hit shots over guys. I mean, there was a reason why he was just like included in the, in the top four was the top five top. Yeah. He was in the top five after Jalen Suggs for like the whole year until now. Right. Yeah. He seems so. like a Orlando magic player. Yeah. It's like you look at him and you're like, Oh man, that guy could be an all-star for yeah, put sure. Him with Jonathan Isaac and Mark Fultz, And you have a bunch of huge players that are great athletes that uh, can't shoot. Yeah. Yeah, you're always gambling on that. I don't know. I, I don't think the Raptors should take Kaminga, but he is tantalizing. I do think it's a I Scotty think, Barnes or so. I think if you're the Raptors and you have Kaminga, it's like the highest rated you take him. Yeah. I think you just take best available. But Yeah, I agree. I just don't think he's the highest rated. Is there anyone else that you think is, is you know, sort of could get drafted number four? No. What about Sangoon? Zangoon? Haven't explored him that much. Please fill me in. So he's probably the best European prospect since Luka Doncic. He won the MVP of the Turkish League, which is the third best league in the world after, I think, the Spanish League. And he got, I think he got 18 and 10 as an 18-year-old in, in the third best league in the world. And so obviously he's a good player. Like he's starting from a pretty high skill floor there to, to be able to do that. And the track record of players that play so well in these other good leagues is really good. Like they, they almost always make us make a big impact in the NBA. So I think so you're kind of just starting from that super high floor of he's, he's already like going to be a good NBA player. Like anyone averaging 18 and 10 in the Turkish league, like NBA teams would take on their team. Like it doesn't really matter how you're doing it. It's just like, that's high enough that, that you would get a spot on an NBA roster, but then he's also 18, right? 
Now his game is a little old school. Like he's a back to the back post scorer. And that's kind of how he does a lot of stuff finishing around the rim. He plays super hard and he's a great passer. So Mm. I think if you're looking at sort of, I think Sabonis is a better comp than, than Jokic for being that sort of facilitator at the elbow and setting picks and rolling and being able to finish really well around the rim. And unfortunately, I guess Sabonis is probably also the comp on defense, but you know, he's 18. He has a lot of room to grow. He plays super hard on that end, even though he's, you know, not the greatest athlete. He plays really hard. He has good blocks and steals numbers, which sort of maybe, you know, he maybe doesn't pass the eye test because he's kind of like a slow white guy, but the numbers seem to think he's a good defender. So I think, I think he's probably one of the more accomplished and NBA ready players in the draft. And, you know, the analytics say you should pick him number one. So I think picking him at number four isn't crazy. Is it just bad of me not to trust European players after Barignani? Like it's terrible, right? <laughs> yes, it is. I just but he's he's a the, almost the, big he's almost the total opposite of Barnani though. Like the way he plays is almost the total opposite. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like he doesn't shoot threes, but do you, you think know, it's realistic a, the Raptors end up good, with this guy at four? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely possible because the Raptors have a, a history of international picks and having a strong international scouting presence. So I think that they're definitely aware of this guy. They're looking at him. And, you know, may, if you want this guy, maybe there's an opportunity to trade down and grab another asset if you if you he's your guy. So, you know, I think I think there's a chance the Raptors end up with him. Mm. OK, well, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, draft night's still coming. And guys, if you enjoyed this little draft conversation, we're going to be doing a much deeper in-depth kind of review before draft night because it's going to be big. It's probably the biggest decision the Raptors have made since they traded DeMar DeRozan. So we'll see what happens. Agreed. Well, I mean, yeah. maybe since they traded uh, JV. Would you say this is bigger than that? Yeah, I think, Bringing I think in the Marcus JV Hall? was a bit of a no-brainer. <laughs> okay. I think I think this one, there's definitely like... Uh, drafting high in the lottery is, is the hardest thing to do because there's usually there's guys that teams miss on, so... It's fraught. And you know what? I wouldn't think like, I thought I was going to set, watch some videos, settle in on a guy, make them my favorite. And I thought I did with Suggs. And then I started watching some Scotty Barnes stuff. And now I'm going to start watching some Sanguine stuff. And we're going to see if I bounce around a bit more. I don't ever want to be an NBA GM or be in the front office. Yeah, brutal. It would just be so stressful. I feel like we're throwing darts at a dartboard here and hoping but uh, it's a fun thing to hope for because the Raptors for could sure. use some injection of talent for sure. Should um, we finish up with an email, Gavin? Yeah. Did Alex send us anything this time? I think we have our Alex email segment. Uh, okay. Maybe I'll give it a read. Uh, so we'll start. We start with uh, this might be a surprise, but I'm not going down the rabbit hole of Scott Foster and CP3. I think what Alex is referencing there is that uh, I think Chris Paul is like 0 and 13 in like the last games that have been ref by Scott Foster. Uh, I don't think there's anything to that, but I'll, we'll, I'll keep going. I don't think anything is gained from that speculation here. The whole thing stinks. Okay. I stumbled upon someone else's extremely spicy Raptors take, and I'd much rather sort this out and hear your thoughts. Apparently nine years ago, the Raptors traded Gary Forbes and a future first round pick uh, and, fu- and a future first round pick. I'm assuming for Lowry. Yeah. Uh, lots of people are saying this is the best trade in Raptors history. Okay. Maybe. 
but who did that first round pick become? Apparently that pick became Steven Adams, but fans are speculating that Masai might've picked a young Giannis over him for the Raptors. Cause he went two picks later than Steven Adams did mm-hmm. with draft night looming. How do you feel about this potential timeline? How different do you think the Raps look with either Giannis or Adams and Forbes? It's worth noting the other players on the table when that pick was made. Kelly Olenek, I think he was right after. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, I think he was a little bit later as well. Rudy Gobert, who was, I think, second round pick. Yep. And same with Seth Curry. And then uh, still predicting 4-0 Suns in fairly rough games, if we see four fairly rough games. I'm guessing this is before the last two Bucks wins. Yes, I think he sent this probably before the two Bucks wins. Yeah. So, yeah. I think those games were fairly rough. They might even be Phoenix favorite after that uh, horrendous no call. But uh, what do you think best trade in Raptors history? I, I'm going in a totally different direction here. It, to me, it's obviously the Kawhi trade. Well, I don't think the Raptors are in the position to trade for Kawhi if they don't first acquire Kyle Lowry. Right? That kind sure, of but you can do what ifs until the cows come home, right? Like would they be in this position if, you know, the sun had not been aligned with the stars and Well, if Mercury wasn't in retrograde, I don't think Pop would have ever made that. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. I think the Kawhi Leonard trade is the biggest trade in Raptors history and best. And the best trade. We fleece them. Yeah. We fleece them so yeah. hard. I don't yeah. even care they got a first round pick. I don't even care they got Jakob Pertle. I don't care they got the Rosen. We got a championship and that's all that matters. Yeah. I mean, if the ball bounces any other way in that series, uh, second series, then maybe um, the Lowry trade is the best trade of all time <laughs> for the Raptors, but it's close. I would, I would put the Bargnani trade actually ahead of the Lowry one oh, still. Oh yeah, trading, trading Bargnani away. Getting a first round pick for it. Yeah, yeah that was a good trade too. But um, in no doubt was an amazing trade, I think. Do you think, well, we have to assume that he would have drafted Giannis, right? Like, no, I don't think we can assume that. No, neither do I. I think I think they were definitely looking at Giannis, but from what I heard is Atlanta was at 17 and 18. And uh, the Dan- Danny Ferry, the GM at the time, had Giannis over at his house for dinner and had dinner with his kids and his family. And he was begging every team after like 10 to, to take his two picks to move up. And he thought for sure someone would do it before before 16 at the Bucks, But no one bit, which is kind of crazy in hindsight because like getting 17 and 18 for like 13 is just is just nuts. And mm-hmm. But no one did it, right? So like, yes, there were people that were onto Giannis, but I know Chad Ford talked about this in his latest podcast that Giannis, the Bucks didn't even like Giannis. They were just like, we we're going to put him in the D league. <laughs> like they thought he was super raw. They didn't think he was going to help them win at all. And they were just like, they didn't really have a need to fill. So they're just taking a, a home run swing and they hit, but they didn't like him that much. So I don't know. I think, I think it's really hard to go back and past and be like, Oh, if this draft had gone differently, because a lot of it is, is kind of just luck. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's hard to say what Masai and Bobby Webster were thinking in that moment. But I mean, it is true. I think I've heard somewhere that Masai has a bit of history with Giannis and his family from before that and something to do with the immigration story. Um, So it's like Masai was obviously aware of this player and would have been following his career into the league. So I think it's probably... Even even if he liked him and helped him, that didn't mean he he thought he was going to become a superstar, right? Like, you know... (laughs) Yeah, evaluating true. someone as a person and a basketball player is like very different. It's true, but we at least know that if there were signs to be read, yeah, 
Masai was reading them. He was he was onto Giannis. I think we can say that. Yeah, but we don't know. And I think he might have even picked Stephen Adams. And I think Kyle Lowry's been a meaningfully better player than Stephen Adams. Absolutely, yeah. Um, for a long time. Yeah. And continues to be. Um, so I don't think, I think it is a really amazing trade. I don't think we can look back in hindsight, Alex, and say, but we could have had Giannis. Because Giannis still hasn't won a championship. And Kyle Lowry has. So <laughs> it's that simple sometimes. Rings culture. <laughs> I mean, please let's have this up before Giannis does win a championship <laughs> this weekend. Like I'll try to get this out tomorrow, I guess, because it could easily, by the time this airs, be a bad take. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to edit it faster than that. Trust, you Hopefully. have three nights before the next game. <laughs> we'll see. I have a busy weekend plan, but uh, I'll try to do it tomorrow. All right. Well, any last things to say there, Aaron? Any big predictions to make? No, I think I think we covered about everything. Uh, just to let our viewers know, or actually listeners know. Wait, I want to make uh, one more talking point. All right, let's let's hit hit me with it, Gavin. Okay, there's a few big names swirling out there right now in the league, and I think you know who I'm talking about. There's a certain star player that people are saying is going to be traded. One Ben Simmons. Okay, um, should the Raptors make a play for this guy? What do you think? Yeah, I think you definitely uh, you definitely look into that. I think you're you're on the phone with Philly every day, checking in, uh, trying to get a read on what other teams are offering. I think a Ben Simmons for Siakam swap would definitely uh, interest the Raptors. That's not what I think happens. I'm going to tell you what I think happens, okay? Okay, tell me. Tell I me. think the trade for Ben Simmons includes the fourth pick. So, but it doesn't make sense for Philly. That's why you include a third team, and it includes Kyle Lowry. Okay. So it's a sign and trade with a third team. Philly gets Kyle Lowry. Raptors get Ben Simmons. The other team gets the four uh, gets the fourth pick, and they send some high quality role players to Philly. Yeah. So Philly gets Kyle Lowry and some good role players. Other team gets the fourth, the fourth pick. pick, and Raptors get Ben Simmons. Yeah. I mean. I don't hate it. Some really good uh, role players. It might be like some sub all-star players, like maybe a Malcolm Brogdon or whatever. I don't know. I think, I mean, if you're just doing a sign and trade for Lowry, oh, just the fourth pick is so valuable. And so is Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is already making a max. I mean, if this fourth pick turns out to be as good a player as Ben Simmons, I'd be so happy. I feel like that's a home but, run. Yes, but yeah, there's a chance to be better and cheaper <laughs> and way cheaper for sure. That's like the 5%. I think, I think if you're the Raptors, I think ultimately you, you're doing your scouting and I think you kind of decide whether you want to sniff around with Ben Simmons or not. Like what, like you kind of do your homework. Like, do you like his makeup? Is he, does he want to play in Toronto? Like, you know, is he like amenable to to feedback and, and expanding his game and trying different things you know like i think you try to get a read on that because i think there, there's some red flags there for sure absolutely there's some red flags uh more than one i'd say but i think mm. it's very interesting and it's something to think about i think that the simmons og siakam lineup is something that i want to see uh, just because yep, I, I love think, defense. Uh, <laughs> I think it would have other teams shitting their pants. To be yeah. Honest. yeah. I don't know how they fill that in with Fred Van Vliet. Maybe they end up getting Danny Green in the deal. I don't know. But, yeah. Well, uh, Danny Green's a free agent, but I'd love to see him again in the Raptors uniform. Yeah. 
even if he bricks all the shots for the first two don't series. care he's a great defender great great teammate as well yeah absolutely yeah. so i think that's something that's on the table too something to keep you raptors fans up at night anyways finish what you're saying before i interrupted you i was just gonna discuss our schedule i think we're gonna do a podcast next week after game six the series might be over it might be continuing and then we'll probably do another one around the draft as well that's uh that's on the 29th so two weeks from now so we got a we got a busy schedule for the raptors review coming up absolutely but it's going to be an exciting one and yeah it's going to be an awesome off season for sure too we'll see what happens all right well until next time guys Thanks for listening. Make sure you send in your hot takes and your questions to raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. That's raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com because we want to hear them. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys in a few days and uh, we appreciate your listens. Bye for now.